1: want you to turn with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I I had some notes. I don't usually do PowerPoint notes, but I thought I'm going to do like a real simplified kind of thing. It helps you. So I, I, the first three words, I got this from, I think it was Greg Laurie. I was looking at other guys who were preaching on uh, Jonah. And he says, you know, if you want to encapsulate the book of Jonah, it's go, no, oh, and I wanted to add my own. So, (laughs) this is how the story... Okay, that's the title of today's message. Go? No! Oh, so... So follow with me, Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read all of Jonah. It's so simple, Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. You ever been called to preach against something? You know... As a church, we're told all around the churches of the world, oh, don't do that. People won't react well to that one. You just need to preach and just tell them everything's going to be okay. It's all good. Jesus loves you. Sin all you want. It's going to be okay. No, it says go preach against it because it's wickedness has come up before God. God is keeping track of wickedness across a city and across a nation. Judgment comes. Go to the next verse. Oops, verse 2. I'll follow mine. Oh, we didn't do that. Sorry. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Keep going. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Look at what it says in brackets. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord. Have done as you please. You notice it's not small g God or small l, it is Yahweh. They're praying to his God. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men feared, greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Heavenly Father, as we unpack your word, We're being very, very intentional about this. We really want to hear from you. So, Father, I pray, drown out any thoughts that I might have about how I want to preach this. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would use this donkey to carry out the word that you have for your sons and daughters, your words of love and affection, of hope. Whatever it is you want to do, do it, Lord. We're in agreement with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, men of God. Why don't we appreciate the team for leading us in worship? It's a great thing to have a team like this. So at at church, I want you to get encouraged. Like when we say, you know, let's encourage them, do it like you really mean it. You ever want to be encouraged sometimes? You know, look, uh, church, let's encourage the team. It just, <laughs> you know, we are so lucky. I, I can't believe, begin to tell you. We have a full band, and they are awesome. They're not just adequate. They are really good. We're so blessed. So, you know, we appreciate them very much. Okay, I want you. if you've got your Bibles with you, and you've got your margins, and you've got your pen, your paper, I want you to take some notes with me, and I, I wanted to help you with this. So here's the first thing that you notice. I love this story because you realize Jonah is not perfect. See, sometimes when we recount the stories of the Bible— We can sometimes come across like we're perfect. In fact, even preaching the message, it may come across, Pastor Paul is just so perfect. Can I tell you I'm so far from perfect? We are not perfect. We are imperfect people who serve a perfect God. So if you feel that you are imperfect, you came to the right place. Jesus is perfect. He is good. He is love. And we are journeying to imitate him to become more like him. And I love the frailties of someone like Jonah because this particular story spares no details or expense. It reveals the thoughts and the hearts of a leader of the kingdom this is a prophet who hears from god and you are seeing the thoughts that are going on in his mind the thoughts of his heart the deep dark secrets nothing is hidden i mean poor jonah for all time and eternity the bible says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away for time and eternity jonah's heart will be exposed for the entire planet and all the creation to read and to see I mean, how awful is that for Jonah? But how good for us? We realize, well, I'm not that bad. (laughs) Jonah hated these people. I want you to understand he's a man who hears from God. So he was in a right relationship with God, and presumably God was using Jonah to preach all kinds of words to people all across Israel. Every time God had a word, Jonah would be sent. There were other prophets at the time of Jonah, but he's one of this is his story. And God told him one simple instruction He said, Go and preach. And Jonah said, no, and that's where we get the title from, go, no, <laughs> oh, so. God will have to do something when you say no to his go. Because when he says go, it is a, let's do it right now, I'm going to go. Tell me where to go. Point me in the right direction, I'm going to go. But so often we fight with God. And if you think you're not like Jonah, I want you to think again. Because our, our vision for the year is not just a vision for the year. It's actually a vision for the church. I want you to understand this. It's actually written in as part of our mission statement. And our vision is locked into it. How can people experience Jesus if you're not there showing them who Jesus is? This is a dream that we're having. That people would experience Jesus. How will they know who Jesus is? Unless you're in their world. There are people in your world that we will never touch, that probably won't speak to some of us. You definitely won't speak to Jamie. They won't be speaking to me. Jamie's this big towering giant. They won't even speak to me probably, but they'll speak to you because you're in the world. You already have a friendship. You have a connection with them, and God has put you into their lives for a reason. If the sum total of our lives is that we are to find Jesus and find salvation, then we would not need to continue living on this planet. Instantly, we'd be transported to heaven, and everything would be great after that. Oh, ah, we're in heaven. The angels are singing. We're rejoicing. It's all good. High-fiving everywhere. But that's not what happened. You still live another day. But you're not supposed to live to yourself. And this is the calling of Jesus, is that when you follow him, it's not just about you now. It begins to change. Now it's about them. So Jesus said, if you can understand the heart of the gospel, the heart of God, it's this, that you learn to love God. Learn to love him. Because as you learn to love him, you begin to have a heart and a love for others. But even the greatest of prophets, like Jonah, had issues. He was a racist. He hated the people of Assyria. The capital of Assyria was Nineveh. It is a massive capital back in the day with massive walls. It was a fortress. It was a prosperous town. Uh, It was built on the banks of the Tigris River. And it was a city that was the envy of the world at that time. They were a superpower of the day. And they constantly sought uh, war with the countries around them. They wanted to increase their territories. They were at war with Israel constantly. And they were a cruel people. They weren't kind. That's the thing. All we see is the word Nineveh. We don't know anything about them. This is a cruel people. For the sake of the audience I'm going to make this G-rated, I won't tell you some of the things they did, but imagine some of the atrocities of war. They did all that and more, things that are unspeakable. Amos, uh, sorry, Nahum tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, Woe to the city of blood. This is about Nineveh. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. They actually, according to historians, they would set up monuments for themselves, statues of the conquests, of how they terrorized people and how the cruelties that they put on people, they would show these people in, some, in, in the positions that they tortured them in. That was, they were so proud. That was their culture, proud of the sadistic nature that they had. And so when Jonah saying, I don't want to know, it's for good reason. These people are cruel, they are wicked, and they are enemies of Israel, which means they should be enemies of God. So Jonah is taking it personally for God, saying, God, i got your back. I won't preach the gospel to them because you said, right, you said the word of the Lord has come, and you are to preach against Nineveh because its wickedness has come up before me, and so God, it's so wicked, you should bring judgment. But Jonah understood what was happening here. Because there's this grace of God that is so huge. God's mercy is greater than your sin. Go ahead and put the notes up there. We may not finish today, and that's okay. God's mercy is greater than your sin. I want you to sink this into your spirit. This is not a license to sin. This is telling you, if you think that you did something, and that you are not good enough to come into church, I want you to know God's mercy is greater than your sin. It says in Romans 5 verse 20, the second portion, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You cannot out sin God's grace. He loves you so much that when you feel that I am incapable of living a life that is righteous before God, I want you to know it's okay. God's mercy is greater than your sin. When you feel, I let God down. I was running a great journey at Live City Church. I was growing. I was running in leaps and bounds. I was going for God. People were looking up to me. I was serving in departments. It's fantastic. But then I did something, and I feel I'm not worthy to come into the house of God. I want you to know God's mercy is greater than your sin. These people's sin stunk to high heaven. They were worthy of destruction. Do you understand? When God is saying their their wickedness has come up to heaven, he's saying, did you understand that for every nation there's a cup of wrath? And what happens is in the wickedness of a city, that wickedness begins to fill that cup. And there's an appointed time when the cup is full, when God's judgment is meted out. There will come a time when God's judgment will be meted out across the nations of the world. It's it's predicted. It's prophesied in the word of God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. A day of reckoning will come because the wickedness of the nations will increase until that final time when God returns. Before that happens, though, I want to tell you it's been prophesied that a great revival will break out. What we're going to read about in the book of Jonah is how a great revival broke out across a city. Now, according to the book of Jonah, chapter 4, there was 120,000 inhabitants. But according to other scholars and other great preachers like Billy Graham, they will tell you it was actually closer to 1.2 million people. That might have just been the soldiers. But there's the wives, there's the, the children. 1.2 million people. It was a massive number of people, certainly greater than Ipswich in total a massive number. Imagine that kind of detail. And so God is saying, the cup is full. My wrath is about to be poured out. So I'm going to send you, Jonah, to preach. And Jonah's thinking to himself, I want them to die. I want you, God, to judge them. And the church has been guilty of this. You you see, like, uh, the uh, the people of the world, they struggle with Christians. Look at the, the LGBT agenda. They hate Christians because of the way they've been treated. I understand that some of it is justified, some is not at all. They've mistaken us. But for some of them, it is justified. We've done the wrong things. We have, in the name of God, we've come through trying to preach a gospel of love, but it wasn't love at all. It was a, a gospel of hatred and of division. But God is saying, I want you to bring people together. We, yours is a gospel of love. I want you to tell them how much I love them. In their sin, in their wickedness, Jesus, it says, loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners. But we're thinking to ourselves, we've got to get our lives right before I can come to church. We've got to get our lives right before I'll share Jesus with you. You've got to repent and turn from your wicked ways until your life is righteous. You can't have Jesus in your life. It doesn't work like that. In your wickedness, Jesus loved you. In their wickedness, in their sin, Jesus loved them. There is no sin that is greater than God's mercy. And so Jonah had the hard word I want you to go and preach. I want you to go and preach. Okay, God, I can't wait to preach. I love to preach. Every time you send me to preach, every time you send me to go, it's an adventure. I can't wait for the adventure. I want you to go to Nineveh. You what? (laughs) I want you to go to Nineveh. I don't think so. What do you mean you don't think so? They're wicked people. I want them to die. Have you seen the sins that they commit? Kill them, Lord. Kill them, Lord. Smoke them. Aren't you glad Jonah isn't God? Aren't you glad that the person sitting next to you isn't God? The God of the Old Testament, you did the wrong thing. I shall smote thee. You know, God will smote thee. I think all of you would be zapped if you were God. Be, none of us would be remaining. Thank God you're not God. Thank you so much, Kate. Amen. I totally agree. <laughs> but God, I want you to get this next point. God will not always ask you to do what you like to do. In fact, More often than not, God will ask you to do something that you are not prepared to do. God will ask you to do things that are hard. God will ask you to do things that are tough. God will ask you to do things that go against the grain of even culture. He will do things that will embarrass you. He will do things and ask you to do things that will humiliate you. He will ask you to do things that will be costly, that will cause you to sacrifice. Do you know that even Jesus himself, God incarnate when he became man, with all the frailties of man, even he in the garden of Gethsemane, before the day that he was going to be crucified for you and for me, understood the pain of what it's going to be like. We're leading into a time of Easter, the passion of Jesus. In the Garden of Eden, don't you think for a moment it was an easy prayer as he's there in that garden. He is praying, interceding for you and for me. And he's saying, God, I love these people. I love humanity. They're made in our image and likeness. And I don't want them to to go to a Christless eternity. I don't want them to go to hell. Hell is made for the devil and his his demons. They're not made to go there. But there has to be another way. God, is there a plan B? That was his prayer in the Garden of Eden. If you're wondering the kind of prayers Jesus prays, they were real. They weren't, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, we're thinking King James kind of version how Jesus spoke, but you've got to understand he spoke in the language of the day. He was just real. Dad, is there another way? (laughs) Is there a plan B where I don't have to suffer? Is there a plan B where I don't have to be crucified? Maybe a hanging or lethal injection might have been less painful. That would be great. Do I have to be whipped? Do I have to be scourged? Do I have to have that crown of thorns on my head? Is there another way where I don't have to suffer? I'd like to do that one. So if you're wondering, you know, when you say those kind of prayers, I want you to know you're in good company because Jesus himself said the same prayer. But the Bible also tells us that he turned it around he says, you know, it's not about what I want. That's what he says, not my will. It's not, not about what I want. I don't want to die. I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to hurt anymore. I, I don't want to go and have to do this. I don't want to go speak to those people. They hate me. I'm thinking about this one thing that was on Facebook. I don't want to go to church. Those people are so awful. Honey, you have to. You're the pastor. <laughs> God will ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Have you ever wrestled with the difficult things that God asks you to do? It doesn't make sense. It's too costly, God. Empty your pockets. Give it to that person that's struggling. But God, I'm struggling. You're going to make me struggle if I give everything. Just do it. Just do it. It's too painful. Do you understand that sometimes God allows things to happen for a reason so that you can experience something in your life that will change you, change a whole world. And God has to expose you to new things for you to be able to touch people. There are people out there that God is sending you to, you're on assignment. Do you understand that what we do here is the meeting of the believers on a Sunday where we tell these stories, we get Pete Mack to come up, we get Isaac to come up, we get Mark to come up, we get Kate to come up, we get Kelly to come up as they begin sharing their stories. It's just real. That's the thing. We're raw in this church. We're not going to put on the glitz and the glamour and They're good. You might see a bit of that, but no, we're just real. See, if Jesus got to that point when he's in that Garden of Gethsemane, I want you to understand, he didn't just pray that prayer one time. Oh, God, Dad, is there another way? Is there another way where you can save humanity that doesn't involve me suffering? Is there another way that doesn't involve me dying for them? Can we find another way? He said it three times. In case you thought it was easy for him. Three times. And while he's praying, he's sweating blood. According to sci- uh, the, the, the doctors, are telling you, that's pretty serious stuff. The guy is under severe stress and anxiety as blood is pouring out of his, his forehead. And he's thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. Everything within me is screaming, saying, don't do this. It's too painful. You don't want to do this for them. It's too much of a sacrifice. But without the cross, there would be no forgiveness for your sins. Without the cross, there would be no salvation when you're safe. Without the cross, there would be no freedom. You would never be set free from your addictions. From the traps, from the alcohol, from the drugs, from the porn, whatever it is, from your broken relationships... Without the cross, there would be no hope. The Bible tells us that in that place, I don't want to do this. God, you're asking me to do something I don't want to do. The Bible says, but for the joy before him, Jesus endured the cross. Joy. Hanging on a cross is joy? Would you like to know what that joy is? While he was praying in that garden, as that sweat is pouring from his head, as he was being beaten, every single beating, by his stripes, you're going to be healed. I'll take it. By his stripes, you're going to be healed. I'll take it. By his stripes, you'll be healed. I'll take it. Go ahead. Put it on my back. For their sake, that they would be set free. I will take it. As he hung on that cross... Do you understand that the death from a cross wasn't from the nails in the hands? By the way, it wasn't here. According to the Roman, the hand included the wrist. There's, a, there's two bones here. The nail stuck between that big, thick nail. And they would hang on this cross. What would happen is, as they hung, they couldn't breathe. So in order to breathe, they had to pull themselves up on the nails through their wrists, screaming as they came out for a breath. (gasps) And then they'd go down again because the pain was too great, and they'd be on the pain between their on their legs, rotating between the pain in their feet to the pain in their hands. The death on the cross was a death of asphyxiation, not from bleeding out, in case you're wondering. Jesus was this tattered mess of a person that could hardly be called a man, Isaiah 53 says. His image was marred beyond recognition. He didn't look human anymore. Pieces of meat were hanging off his face and off his back. He was bloodied all over the place. And every time he's breathing, he's thinking of you for the joy. For Ruth, I'll do it, I'll endure it. For Jamie, I'll endure it. We don't personalize this enough. I grew up without the love of a dad. He was an important man. He was a bishop. Everybody loved him. I didn't know him. So when I read that scripture verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he loves the world corporately. He just doesn't love you. He loves everybody. He just doesn't love individuals. He loves the corporate. That's what I thought. And when I encountered Jesus for the first time again, the hundredth time when I was in uni, this is what I came to understand. For God so loved Logan. For God so loved Maria. For God so loved Bella. For God so loved Sonia. He gave his only son that you would live. When not we stand to our feet as we close this morning. Heavenly Father, Help us never to forget the sacrifice that you made for us. As we gather on communion, Lord, the world drinks to forget. But we drink to remember. We remember you. We remember your sacrifice. It was hard. It was not easy. And you did things that you did not want to do. You were not willing to do, but in the end, it's all about you, Father. God, is it possible that we would be willing to die for that person next to us? Is it possible that you could fill a heart with such a love that we would die for the people in this church? God, is it possible that you would fill our hearts with such love that despite the challenges in marriage that we would die for our spouse when they have mistreated us, when they've spoken against us, when they screamed at us, when they yelled at us, when our children yell at us. Can we love them enough despite that when they've broken our hearts and broken our trust? Father,
0: teach us to love like Jesus loved us. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.